Welcome to Trinity Outreach Ministries International. This is a teaching ministry where our lives are enlightened to bring about change through five valuable steps, prayer, worship, the word, fellowship, and outreach. I pray that you'll be encouraged from this word, which is guaranteed to uplift and motivate you. I would say within the first few years of being at Trinity, I was trying to do the role of the Holy Spirit in changing people's lives. But it was a very frustrating period of time because I can't change big hardback people. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And for me to be trying to change anybody's life was in a frustrating lane. I was really out of my lane. Once I realized that I am a sower of the word and leave the rest of the Holy Spirit, pastoring became more exciting and enjoyable. So we give God praise. Amen. Today we begin the book of 2 Corinthians. So it's a packed morning, and have a lot to share with you. Everybody say issues. That's not everybody. You want me to call your name? Issues. Everybody, issues. Everywhere we look, more issues. Issues. Say issues. In 1 Corinthians... The Apostle Paul was addressing the Corinthian congregation, the church at Corinth. <coughs> Excuse me. They were addressing the church at Corinth concerning issues. You notice I uncovered it myself. It's just water. In case you think I took a shot. Amen. Somebody say, Pastor, I think he's still on vacation. In 1 Corinthians, as we welcome those in the sanctuary and those online, the Apostle Paul addressed the issues in the Corinthian church. Just for a brief recollection, remember that they had issues of cliques, factions, divisions. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. And then we found out as we continue to read 1 Corinthians that he was saying that I was using those names, calling our own names, Paul, Peter, and so on, Apollos, because I didn't want to call the names of the actual people in the congregation who the cliques were being formed around. So when we read it in the first part, it says, uh, some say that I'm of Paul, some says I'm Peter, some say that I'm of Apollos. And we think that, okay, they're clicking up behind Paul, Peter, Apollos. But then as we read further in the first Corinthians, he said, we, I was only using our own names because I didn't want to use the names of the actual people in the congregation that you all were forming the cliques around. 
So there were people in the Corinthian church. Whoever was dividing up the Corinthian church into cliques, groups. And these persons were what we would call today influencers. Then there were gender issues. Gender issues. Men are only to do this. Women are only to do that. And they read down the line. Uh, let me say very categorically that I hear people preaching about what women should do in church or what men should do in church and it is not biblical. Yeah, I'm here to shock you. Read 1 Corinthians. Paul was saying that one of the issues in the church was that certain influential persons in the church were saying that women should only do this and men should only do that. He never said it was a biblical mandate from God. Read 1 Corinthians. And today there are doctrines and denominations that are hooked around this same teaching and they never took the time out to see the context in which it was stated. Anybody understand what I'm saying? In other words, you say, but the Bible doesn't say that. God doesn't say that. But you say, and somebody picks up the scripture and they say, and say okay, you see, this is it, 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 it. Out of what? Context. And whenever you take the text out of the context, you end up with a, a con. There were marriage and divorce issues. There were food issues. Some were claiming to be vegetarians. And they claimed uh, you can be a better Christian if you're a vegetarian. Well, Lord, work with me. And then there was the Lord's Supper issues. Took it, taking the Lord's Supper and making it into a feast with drunkenness. Doctrinal issues. Oh, the first Corinthians is filled with the correction of doctrinal issues. Immorality? Yes, of course. Litigation? Yes, of course. Taking a brother to court? Yes, of course. And a sister to court? Yes, of course. A charismatic church. Tongues talking, prophesying, Holy Ghost flowing. Everybody spinning, doing cartwheels and praising God. But full of issues. And Paul was saying to them, something is wrong. If you are saints, why are you still living like sinners? Something is wrong. Why are the people who have nothing to do with church and nothing to do with God and nothing to do with Jesus the Christ living with far less issues than you do? Something is wrong. So Paul wrote the first letter to the Corinthians, which is really not the first letter. 
It's the first one recorded in here, but it's really the second one because the first one didn't achieve anything much. So he sat down and wrote another letter, which we have here as First Corinthians. We do not have the copy of the first one. So really, we could call this Second Corinthians as the First Corinthians because we don't have the first one. But we call it first because that's what we have first. And Paul wrote to them. First letter, it didn't go well. And then second, a second letter, which is really in our Bible as First Corinthians. And my, 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 my. Who tell Paul write the church such a letter? Lord have mercy. When the letter was read to the church by whoever read it, Bacchanal break out. The letter was rejected by certain influential persons in the congregation. I could just see it. This body jump up over there, and that body jump up over there, and the other person jumps up there, and I support sister such and such, and I support brother such and such, and I support sister, and we don't agree with this letter. Oh, da, 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 da. Bacchanal break out in the church. My brother Mark, guess what? Paul decided he was going to visit them in person. A hotel he do so. Ariet, Bismarck, Tracy, hotel he do so. They already, Janice, Juliet, they already had things hot based on his letter. And now he's going to decide to come in person? Well, let me put this in a nutshell. Things did not go well. End of story. You see, Paul turned up in simplicity and in humility, looking for reconciliation. But the influencers had stirred up the congregation and they were ready for war. So when Paul turned up at the Corinthian church, hell broke out. I am aware that this is going out online, but it's all right. It's the truth. Now, he was trying to correct the issues based in keeping with how Jesus would do it. Jesus is our leader. We are a part of his group. He is our leader. We follow the leader. We take the teachings of the leader. He is the leader. We follow our leader. Our leader is Jesus the Christ. So Paul tried in humility to try to address the issues. But these people were ready for war. Things did not go well at all. 
As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he refers to it as a painful visit. I have had a painful visit. That's the only indication he gives us there about that visit in between what we call 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. A painful visit. He's going to write them another letter. Verse 3, chapter 2. I wrote this very thing to you when I came. I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. So it was not a good visit. He was the one who founded the Corinthian church. He was the one who established it. He was the one who established it for seven years. And now his visit to the Corinthian church was one of rejection and hostility. In a congregation, you'll always find those persons who are not part of anybody's clique. And so Paul starts by going down that road. Verse 3. Chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You see where he's going? Going with comfort. Why is he heading down the road of comfort and heading down the road of hope? Because he is starting this letter to address now. He's going to first start by addressing those members in the congregation who are not part of anybody's clique. And they experience the same pain and agony that he did. And they were saying, this is disgraceful for our church. I am embarrassed to be a part of this service. I am going home crying instead of going home rejoicing for what I just experienced in the house of God. Verse 4, chapter 1, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, Paul is saying, I had to resort to getting my comfort from God based on the hostile way I was treated in the Corinthian church. I had to go back to God for comfort. I had to refocus on God. I had to renew my relationship with God. And God had to strengthen me on the inside. And now God has restored and re-strengthened me on the inside. And I am not weeping anymore. I ain't crying anymore. I can reach out a hand to those in the congregation who I left behind in tears over what went down. The more I read this, the more I want to cry. You ask me, Pastor Mike, why the more you read it, the more you want to cry. Anybody who has been a Trinity from the beginning to now, I need say no more. Influential persons who came in the congregation and determined that this must not be a teaching ministry, 
but it's going to be the type of ministry that they want. We had to get comfort from God to turn things around. And today, look what the Lord has done. Anybody passed by Hanson Hill recently? Did you see the Barbers Light and Paul move in the poles? Hallelujah. Could somebody say hallelujah? Which means that once those poles are moved, we can now go ahead and do what? Pave, put down the bitumen in the asphalt, and close off that portion of the job. Could somebody say amen? Praise God. Look what the Lord is doing. Once we stayed on course and we allowed God to comfort us. And that is what Paul is saying. I had to be comforted by God. The way I left that Corinthian church and the war and the hostility I felt, I founded that church seven years ago. And to be treated like this, worse than a dog, I can't believe it. I had to go to God for comfort. You see, as you check church history, check church history, you will find that there are certain persons in the Christian arena who are motivated by a religious spirit of dominance. They do not have the wherewithal to found any new, new church or ministry. They do not. They can't start anything. They can't get anything up and running. But what they do is once a church has been started, they move in. And they're moving to say that we are here to help. But they are here to help with a hidden agenda. And the agenda is, after we see that this is going to be, an, as it were, in the world of business, an up and continuous going business, as it is it's not going to be a fly-by-night church that closes down in a year or two, but it is set for longevity. Once they stay around five, six years, and they see that it is going to, it, this is planted good, this is going to go forward, then it is time to move the founder off. And for them to take over. And that was what was happening in 2 Corinthians. Now let us look and see what are some of the issues that they had with Paul. The influential people. What is it that they had? Uh, what are these issues that they had with Paul? Number one. They accused Paul of starting the church because he had a hidden agenda. Seven years ago. Remember that this church was in existence seven, eight years before this whole issue break out. So they sat quietly. They were involved and they stayed around and they tried to get more and more people up underneath their wings. So that when they moved, they would have crowd support. Politics in church. Chapter 1 verse 12. Paul is going to respond to this. For our boasting is this. The testimony of our conscience. 
that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. Not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. Read various other versions and you will see what he is saying there in modern day language is, hey, I did not come to start the Corinthian church with any hidden agenda. I think that the Passion actually uses the term hidden agenda. Who has a passion? Anybody has a passion in the congregation? No passion today. Wow, we are passionless. You have the passion, Mary? <laughs> Does it say hidden agenda in chapter 1, verse 12? I can't hear you. Come, 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 Mary. Mary, you got to come right down here because we want to get you on camera. Everybody give Mary a hand. Okay, we love you, Mary. Read verse 12 for us, please, loud and clear. Chapter 1, verse 12, 2 Corinthians. We rejoice in sin with complete honesty and clear conscience. We have complete honesty and a clear conscience. You remember what remember what these people were accusing him of? These influencers in the congregation that he killed and started the Corinthian church with a hidden agenda. Hear what Paul is saying. Go ahead, start over, Mary. We rejoice in sin with complete honesty and a clear conscience that God has empowered us to conduct ourselves in a holy manner with no hidden agenda. There you go. There you go. And that is it in modern day language. You know, sometimes the D's and D's of the King James don't help you to understand the D's nor the D's of today. Thanks, Mary. So the first thing they were accusing him of is, hey, let me tell you all something. When Paul started this church seven years ago, he had a hidden agenda. Don't trust him. Paul is responding to it. He said, I had no hidden agenda. I stand clearly before God. Second thing they accused him of is that he was a flip-flop. Imagine you're accusing a leader of being a flip-flop. Chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. And in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you may have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you, and to help you, help you on your way to Jerusalem. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Are the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh, that which we, that we, okay, that with me, there should be yes, yes, and no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you are not, was not yes and no. What Paul is saying to them is you're all accusing me of being fickle and a flip-flop. And he said, look, I function under a higher authority 
and the higher authority is my God. And when God changes plans, I move with God. Could somebody say amen? And I think that in the Passion, it actually uses the term flip-flop. Do you know why Mary went back and sit down so far? Do you know? Flip-flop. Don't worry. Number three, what are they accusing him of? They're accusing him of, hey, you all notice the way he founded this Corinthian church. He didn't talk anything about credentials qualifications or letters of recommendation. In other words, he just started it like that and nobody didn't do a, a, a due diligence on Paul and make him produce paperwork so that we could put in the past, in the, in the, in the committee's folder. When I read that, I said to myself, wow, when I started Trinity, nobody asked me for documentation. Chapter 3, look at it. Here he goes. He's responding again to this accusation. These have become personal attacks. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, to recommend ourselves, or do we need uh, some other epistles of communication to you or letters of recommendation to you? Seven years after the ministry is up and running, now you're saying that I didn't bring a letter of recommendation when I started? Was there a committee that was supposed to hire me as the pastor when I'm the founding pastor of the church? And now you're all questioning the fact that I turned up in current preaching and started a church with no letters of recommendation? You see, let us put this in perspective. Anybody, any, anybody getting anything out of this? Janice, anybody getting anything out of this? Anybody getting anything out of this? Everybody really, really, really quiet. Lisa, you getting anything out of this? Good, good. One or two getting something out of it. Sophie, we are right. We're getting something out of it. You ain't know yet. All right. I try and let us put things in context. In this day and time, when the Corinthian church was formed, there were Greek philosophers who went from city to city giving speeches. And these Greek philosophers will pack auditoriums to listen to their philosophy. And they would speak at the, wow. But in promoting their arrival in the city, the people who were bringing that Greek philosopher to town would go through the city advertising how highly qualified he was. And where last he spoke, uh, who highly recommends him, and so on and so forth. We still do the same thing at churches today. Go through the community telling who's coming to town, uh, where last they spoke, and who highly recommends them. So they were saying to the congregation, 
these influences. You notice that when Paul came, nobody was talking about where last he spoke or who recommends him. We need to send him to go and get a letter of recommendation. In other words, we need to get his qualifications verified by the accreditation board. But it was more. The Greek philosophers, when they came to town, would charge a big fee and leave town loaded for the bank. Guess what? These influential members of the church were raising in the church. The fact that Paul is, did, did this for free show that he's a nobody. Because if he knew what he was saying and if he was a highly qualified individual, he would have been asking for a high fee to lead the church. Oh, okay, good, good, good. Come with me, come with me, come with me. Chapter 6. Chapter 6, Paul is going to respond to them. Chapter 6, pick up the reading at verse 9. Chapter 6, I ain't going to go through the whole thing with you. I can just hit a few. Read this in the Passion. Read this in the Message. Read this in the NIV. Read this in the other versions that are more contemporary English versions. Read it and see what is being said. As unknown and yet well known. So Paul is saying, hey, I started a church in Corinth as an unknown. Nobody sent flyers through all the community with my picture on it in a three-piece suit and say who's coming to town. I remember a certain gentleman left this church within two years of its opening. And his continuous beef with me, every now and then, almost every month, was why is it that I don't have a picture with a three-piece suit in the paper advertising the new Trinity Outreach Ministries International? And I tell him, every time he came, that ain't me. If you want to go to a church with a three-piece man advertising in the newspaper, you can go. This is not your there. And he left. And up to now, I'm not in the papers with a three-piece suit advertising Trinity. So Paul is saying, when I came to town, I was an unknown. As died and behold, we live as chastened and yet we kill. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. You all say that I'm poor? Yes, I'm poor, yet making rich as having nothing, yet possessing all things. In other words, anybody knows what Paul did for a living outside of sharing ministry? He was a tent maker. He was a tent maker who did preaching. And as far as they're concerned, the Corinthian church could have done better than that. You don't need a man who builds tents for a living to be the one sharing the gospel. For I consider, verse 5, for I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent of apostles, 
Even though I am untrained in speech, they were criticizing how he spoke. He didn't pronounce certain words correctly. Yet I am in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Wow. Did I commit sin in abasing myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel to you for free? The church was brand new. It could not afford a pastor. And Paul said, I ain't here for the money. Let's get started. And now they are using it seven years later to say, if he was any substance, she would have been charging a fee. Because all the Greek philosophers who are something, they charge a fee. Imagine that. But then they hit him below the belt. And they said, he writes a ball letter. But when he turns up, he's a wimp. Uh, our church should not be following this wimp who is hiding behind letters. Now, anybody remembers what happened? Paul went to the Corinthian church to do what? In humility, calling for what? Reconciliation. And he walked into a warfare. But he didn't turn up to fight. So they are saying now, that when he came, he, had, he, 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 he was nothing. We nothing to talk about. We, we mash him down in the meeting. We shut him up in the meeting. We make him look like a little boy in the yard in the meeting. But we left the meeting with 10 and 12 and 13 and 14. People calling us when we get home and said, but you, you, you put the pastor in his place. Where you getting that from, Pastor Mike? Chapter 10. Chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware of all the fathers who are under the cloud, all passed through the sea. And then he goes on. He talks about all were baptized into Moses. All eight and drank the same things. And then he goes on. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Let's start over. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Oops. I had skipped back over. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. You say that I am just hiding behind letters. But I beg you that whether I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, when I turned up, I wanted to have a spiritual meeting. 
But I found some carnal people who were ready to prove a point in upmanship in the church. And that is why I had to leave. Wow. 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 So, 2 Corinthians is going to go into the people behind the issues in the Corinthian church. And you will find that whenever that there are issues being continuously pushed in a church, there are some persons or persons who are instigators of those issues. Because left to the Holy Spirit, things would be resolved. But there had to be people in the congregation who for one reason or the other, who continued to stroke and stroke and stroke that issue, but would not leave it alone. As followers of Christ, we should handle issues in the way our leader Christ handled the issues, which is the way in which Paul handled the issues. Jesus handled issues in alignment with the will and word of the Father. We should handle issues in alignment with the will and word of the Father. He left this book for us, a manual for successful living. We call it the Holy Bible. It has in the will, it has in the word of God. And when we resolve issues, let us resolve issues in keeping with the will and the word of the gospel. But many times when there is an issue, or the issues would not stop. They continue to persist. Some person is experiencing pain. And some other person is experiencing pleasure. The person who is experiencing pain. Has a different motive. From the person who is experiencing pleasure of the issues. Their motives are different. And next week, Sunday, I'm going to take some time to look at methods, missions, and motives in 2 Corinthians so that we could understand how not to be more mentally, intellectually informed about the Word of God, but how to live the Word of God on a daily basis. And you will see in all of that description that was read this morning, it was a case where Paul was saying, I know all of this, and I have come to identify who the people are behind these continuous issues who are constantly instigating. They wouldn't allow the church to settle down. And all I'm asking for is a peaceful reconciliation. My question to you and my question to myself today is has there been issues in your life with instigators 
By the way, all, every single issue that they had with Paul was based on a lie. Every single issue they had with Paul was based on a lie. But we are told that if you repeat a lie often enough, you will have people believe it as truth. And this is what the influencers were doing. Repeating lies often enough so that the people believed it as truth. Paul identified the instigators. He reached out in humility for reconciliation. He says, Jesus, the Christ, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Because reconciliation is what I came about. He said, when I was on Calvary's cross, when Jesus was on Calvary's cross, he was there reconciling the world to, Jesus, to his father. He's the, he's the biggest facilitator of reconciliation, the man Christ Jesus. And if he is our leader, then we should take examples from him and be reconciled. Next week, the mission methods and motives involved when there are issues. But Paul, after clarifying the methods, missions, and motives involved, chapters 10, 11, 12, he's going to do it like how Jesus did it in the temple, confronting the money changers. He said, enough talk. I'm coming straight at y'all now. I know who the people are, and I'm going to let y'all have it. Confronting the religious influences in the congregation. Chapters 10, 11, and 12. So we got a lot to do in this fantastic book. But a wonderful journey through 2 Corinthians. But as I bring this to a close, I ask, as you look at your life, is there somebody living in the same house with you that you need to be reconciled to? How is things between yourself and your husband? Between yourself and your wife? Between yourself and your children? Between children and parents? Maybe adult children and adult parents. Is there a need for reconciliation? Is all well? Is there a peaceful relationship? What about at work with your colleagues? What are issues that have never been resolved and there's need for reconciliation because these issues are underlying like a cancer? What about... The need for reconciliation in the church. Is there a brother you no longer speak to or a sister? You come in through the right door and the person goes out through the left door. But both of you, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Is there a need for reconciliation? And the most important form of reconciliation is Jesus, the Christ. 
What is your relationship with your God like? As you sit there, are you and God on good speaking terms? Can you say from the bottom of your heart, the Lord is my shepherd? Can you say the Lord is my refuge and strength? Can you say that the greatest thing in all the world is loving the Lord and being led by the Lord? And I, am, I must be about my father's business. If not, is there need for reconciliation between you and your God? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, I realize that I'm just a sore. And I've long since given up trying to be the Holy Spirit to change lives. But I know that you can change lives through the moving of your Holy Spirit. And so I ask right now, Lord, that some soul in this congregation whether in the sanctuary or online, will see the need for reconciliation between themselves and their God. And help this day not to pass before they cry out to God for reconciliation. For the price has already been paid on Calvary's cross. By the facilitator of reconciliation, Jesus or Christ, or Messiah, or Redeemer, or Savior, King of kings and Lord of lords, wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the resurrection and the life. The rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. None to be compared to our Jesus. Searched all over, couldn't find nobody. Let us therefore be reconciled to Jesus. Reconciled to the Father, reconciled to the Son, reconciled to the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Don't give up, nor give in. Hold firmly to your faith. Stay blessed.